Everybody say freedom. Freedom. Amen. You may have a seat. Good job, Sadie. Thanks for the ukulele. you guys know what this song is? Who had piano when you were a kid? Then you have this in your head. And now it's going to be there all day today. This is called the Elephant Song. My favorite part's coming up. I love it. I'm telling you what, you just never know what your church does and who, who, I mean, who knew we had an elephant costume person in our church, right? That was great last week, although you were scared to death. Your eyes looked like you were on an African safari when he walked up. Everybody was like, what is, why is there an elephant in the room? And then uh, this week, the elephant song was awesome. Ed came to me and said, hey, I I got an idea. And then somebody came to me today, I'm not going to tell you who, Roger, it's your wife, um, said, you got to have this. I have this. I didn't know what I was going to do with it, but, but you got to have this. This is paper. And I'm like, wow, thanks for, for paper. She goes, no, look at it. It's actually partly made from elephant dung. Yeah, which I mean, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's cool. I mean, uh, you never know what people have and what people do, uh, but it's, it's always fun to find out your uniqueness. We're in that series called The Elephant in the Room, and that's why we're doing all those elephant weird things. Uh, Ron had posted that after the, the message, their family purchased uh, the elephant sprinkler for their yard. He had a picture on Facebook of it yesterday. It was awesome. Uh, and so uh, they promised me they didn't order it during the message, but then they later confessed they probably did. So it's hard. Amazon's just a click away, I know. Uh, but we're, anyways, we're so glad you're here. Hope you're ready to continue on. Last week, I kind of had to take a merge uh, to talk about worldview because I felt like it was important to set the stage. Why? Why do we think that God has any say in this whole matter of truth? Well, he has everything to say about it. So let's just walk through so far. Uh, Recap. The first week we talked about church and politics. Christians are identified with God's kingdom. And and that's, that's the church. The body comes together and we are identified about Christ. Uh, Again, you need to be a good citizen. Pay your taxes and vote. And, and those of you who get involved in politics, that's a good thing. We need more Christians in politics. That's awesome. Do your best there. But when it comes to the church and when the body gathers, we're not going to be political. We're not going to be partisan. We're not going to be uh, promoting one party or one platform. We're, we're going to promote, actually we are, we're going to promote only one platform. And that's Jesus Christ and him crucified and our salvation. Amen. That's what we do when we come together. We must keep the bond of unity and peace. Amen. And so we talked about that. We're to be identified with God's kingdom. We talked about abortion. Amago Dei, the image of God. So we're a pro-abundant life, 
Not only do we want babies to be born, we want all humankind to flourish. The only way they can do that is to know that Jesus Christ saves. And so we want all people to experience John 10.10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but he has come that you might have life and have it to its full, full. And so gospel urgency. I can't stress that enough as your pastor. Gospel urgency. We want all people. Uh, inmates in prisons, those in their deathbeds in the hospital, those uh, uh, people who are refugees and, and trying to find a new life. Uh, anybody that has life, we ought to go after and love them toward Jesus. That is our goal, gospel urgency. Then last week, worldview. Truth, everybody say truth. Truth is defined by God, not by man. If we think that we are the purveyors of truth and we determine what is true, that only leads to chaos because you'll determine on your own something is true, but you'll find out quickly that somebody else doesn't agree with you. Now, whose truth overrides whose truth? And we have competing truths and thus it leads us into chaos. You're experiencing that today in this world, a world that does not know truth, so therefore they think that they determine truth. So when you don't live up to their truth, you're an awful evil person. And just in time for our, our, our world to get heightened in those kind of dividing thoughts, we have social media that just adds fuel to that. Everybody now has a platform to tell everybody else that they're wrong and I'm right. And it, 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 it's chaos because God determines truth. The definition I gave you last week is truth is God's opinion on any matter. And it isn't God said it, so I believe it, therefore it's true. No, it's God said it. That ends it. <laughs> and so I say all that to remind you that we're heading into one today, in the next two weeks actually, um, that I want you to be patient and breathe. <laughs> and I know how hypercharged our culture is in the topic of sexuality, human sexuality. I'll start by warning you that this message is PG. It's not crazy. It's not R-rated or anything like that. But it is PG. So parents, if you have children in the room, um, I am going to be talking about our human sexuality. And so just be aware of that. There might need to be conversations (laughs) at home. And that's great. Um, I also say this because uh, I'm not naive enough to think that there's a bunch of different divergent thoughts in this room about some of the things I'm going to talk about. Our culture is so good at screaming out their messages that sometimes I think the church gets confused. And the church has a hard time understanding what is our sexuality all about. And so I want today to be simply God's definition. I I want to give you God's plan, God's plan for sex. God created human sexuality and designed it for our best and his glory. Uh, there's two ways we could talk about sex. There's two extreme views, okay? And, and the first one is extreme Puritanism, where sex and everything associated is seen as dirty, base, or unworthy. And some of you might be in that camp thinking, what is pastor going to talk about our sexuality for? That's uncomfortable. Yeah, well, you get to sit and watch. I get to sweat, right? Uh, but I don't believe in this view. I, I think the church got behind by not talking about our sexuality, and then we found ourselves in a pinch because the world sure kept talking about it and displaying it. And the world's view, extreme worldliness view of sex, is that sex is everything. 
Stimulation and gratification of our sexual appetite is the focus and primary goal. You see the two extremes there? The world definitely thinks, man, sex is where it's at, and you had better be going for it. Go for the gusto. Gratification, gratification, gratification. And then you've got the, the church buried its head in the sand and refused to talk about it. And, and God is the author of it. And so I'm not going to uh, be a, a afraid or ashamed today to talk about our sexuality. I'm going to do so with boldness, but with also some sense of sanity. Before we can talk about sex and our sexuality, we have to get a good concept of God. And I think it'd be good if we stopped and asked him to help us with this. So would you pray with me? I'd ask you to pray this prayer. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. Just give that prayer to God. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. God, I pray that you'd be glorified. I pray that everyone hearing this would be edified. And I pray that Satan would be horrified in Jesus' name. Amen. In order to understand a correct view of sex and sexuality, of sexuality, see, I'm already choking up on it. Uh, you have to have a correct view of God. And I think you'll see this goes back to the worldview, kind of a recap of that message. But uh, there's two different ways you can look at how God deals with his creation. And I want you to know the correct view of God is that God loves you. I can't say that enough. He loves you. You need to know that he sent Jesus to die for you. No greater love has any man than this than to lay down his life for his friend. So God loves you. He knew when sin entered this world that we were hopeless and helpless to take care of that on our own. We can take care of it by suffering and sacrificing at the end our own self, but he chose to send Jesus in our place. So Jesus loves you. God is not absent or angry. I think the world would rather have you believe that our God is far away and he's angry. I knew as a kid growing up in the church, uh, the church is really good at about talking about things God hates. And, they, and so I always felt that God was angry. And especially as me as a teenager, because I was all about bad things. <laughs> and, and, and everything I wanted to do was against what God said. And so I was a rule breaker and a rebel. And so therefore... The only assumption I could come up with is God hates me. He wants to just throw the holy anvil down from heaven and demolish me. I felt that way all the way through my teen years. You can have a wrong view of God and you'll struggle because the right view of God leads you to his plan. And he's not out to ruin fun as a rule maker. You need to understand that today, too. God is not out to ruin fun. When we talk about sexuality, God is not some extreme puritan. Everything is evil when it comes to our sexuality. No, 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 not at all. And he's not out to ruin your fun. And he's not just a, a glorified rule maker to make you miserable. I understand that when you're young and uh, you're fully developed sexually and these urges come and they are hot and heavy, it's, it's like, why does God say no then? Why does he say no when I have all these urges and it's difficult. And so we can see God as a rule maker who wants to just ruin our fun. And actually, you need to know that he's a good father. He's a good father. Out to bless, protect, and love his children. See, you can either see your parent as that obnoxious rule maker, ruin fun person, right? Amen? 
Uh, and, and, and it's easy as a young person to see mom and dad as that. They always say no. They always say don't. But when you understand that sometimes when they say no, it's because they know your best. And, and they're for your protection. They love you and they want to bless you. It's easy to get this wrong. And, and if you get this view of God wrong today, you're not going to understand his plan for our human sexuality. It becomes a burden and a, and a pain. I've heard stories over the years of fathers who've taught their children to obey. Right now, in the moment, don't ask questions, just obey. And I think we're struggling with that. As parents, we need to think about that. Uh, one parent was a, a missionary in Africa, and I remember him telling the story that he, he was in the house, and he looked out, and his child was playing in the tree, was climbing the tree, having a great time. The father noticed that in that tree, he could see it, where his child was heading, was one of the most deadly poisonous snakes in Africa. And the father called me, went to the door, and said, son, get down now. The son immediately got down out of the tree. No complaint. Ah, oh, dad. Come on, man, I'm having a good time. You're such a ninny ninny poo poo. Yeah. You know, you, anybody ever been to Myers? Anybody ever go through the checkout line when there's children there? And oh my goodness, some of the worst parenting you'd ever seen going on. Bribery. You'd be good. Okay, I'll give you all the Snickers. You know, what? You know, and this father had taught his children that he loved them, wanted to bless them. And therefore, he was protecting them. So sometimes when dad comes out and says, get down now, it isn't because he's trying to ruin your life. It might be that he wants to save your life. We need to have this understanding of who our God is before we can understand that what he created in our sexuality is good. And it's meant to be for good. So you have a self-centered view of life or a God-centered view of life. The self-centered view of life is humanism that I taught last week, our worldview about godliness and selfishness. If you have a self-centered view of the world, then you are the center of all things. And trust me, if you put yourself at the center of all things, you will live to gratify that self. And with that's going to come a lot of addictions, trust me. I've been down the road of all sorts of addictions. When I was a young person, because I was a rebel and a rule breaker, if it brought me pleasure, I brought it into that garbage can of addiction. The toilet bowl, I like to call it a toilet blow because it's just spiraling down to the final. If you put yourself at the center, the natural response is self-gratification. That's what makes sense. If I am at the center of the universe, then please me. But if you understand that God is, and by the way, the Bible starts with that presumption. In the beginning, God, he puts himself at the center of the universe. And from there, we should know our place and where we're at. And so it is not all about us. And it is not about self-gratification. Everything in life for the believer is about God glorification. And when you understand that and you understand where you put yourself in this world, you understand how you either are abusing sex or understanding God's context for it and best use. So those are some, some things that you need to know going into our talk today is where is God to you? Is he at the center of the universe where we are to live and bring him glory? Knowing that he's a good father and wants to bless us and he does give us good things. 
Or are you going to put yourself at the center and then eventually you determine what use is a God who restrains me from pleasure? That's an easy assumption to make. Don't make that assumption. So here it is. God's truth on sexuality. Number one. I hope you're taking notes. Genesis 1, 27-31. Let me read where it originated from. Uh, God created sex and he declared it good. Everybody say good. You know, I'm just going to tell you, I get a little excited about this. Actually, it's after he created mankind and told them to be fruitful and multiply. Uh, That was the sixth day. After that, he said it, it was very good. Not just good. So God created sex and he declared it good, but actually he he declared it very good. He said, all that I have made, right after he had just created male and female and given them sexuality and told them to fulfill the earth, fill the earth, be fruitful. And he called it very good. Let me read Genesis 1, 27 through 31. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And so it was. And God saw all that he had made. Everybody say all. All. Which includes male, female, gender, sexuality. And he said it was very good. And there was evening and it was morning, the sixth day. This is from the beginning, and we, we understand that uh, God created Adam, and uh, in the coming verse, we're going to hear that God gave him the task then of naming the animals, and they brought forth before Adam male hippopotamus, female hippopotamus, and male giraffe, and female giraffe, and, and on and on and on and on until Adam's finally getting the clue, like, wait a second, <laughs> and God shows him that he had a need, and God tells us that it's not good for man to be alone so we have in Genesis 2, 18-24, the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable. It's a very important word there. I'd underline that or circle that. Suitable. Do I have to go on there? I mean, we don't need anatomy, right? I think the best way to say that, it fits. Okay? Everybody just kind of nod your head. Okay? Suitable means... Parts A, parts B, all the good parts. I'll move on. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever a man called each living creature, the name it was. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord caused man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took out of the man's ribs and closed the place up with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man and he brought her to the man. And the man said, Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. That's my translation. 
He's like, I saw a male hippopotamus and female hippopotamus, and I saw a male giraffe and female giraffe, and I had nothing. And then that's when God brought her to him, and that's why he got to, whoa, man, that's what he named her when he saw her. It was good. He called her woman, for she was taken out of man. And that's why a man leaves his father and mother, is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now, we're starting to see in Genesis, right from the beginning, God had a plan for human sexuality. And can I just tell you right now, I've got to do some really quick work, and I'm not going to be able to do it in detail, but I can talk to you further if you need me to talk about it. There's a lot of issues that come up with these passages. Number one, uh, I've heard people say that uh, obviously God is not for monogamy, one man, one woman, one marriage. He's not for that, but that's not true. He is. From the beginning, he created. I want you to notice what he told them. Man, wife, the two shall become one flesh. He didn't say three or four or five should become one flesh. He never said that at the beginning of creation. Now, we know when we get into Genesis and we start looking, we see polygamy throughout. But you need to know, God did not bless that. Matter of fact, God forbade polygamy. David had many wives, but shame on David. Just because the Bible lets us know that David was a king and he had many wives, that therefore God blessed that, no. Can I tell you today the fact that David's life is put out for us very clearly, we get to see the evidence of his bad choices. And one of the consequences of having many wives is David's life in the future was a mess. He had this wife and that wife and those kids and those kids, and they had all sorts of a mess in the palace. He had, he had to have all sorts of rooms, and he had tried to keep certain people together. And, say, and then one of his sons raped one of his daughters, and then another son killed the other son to revenge the other daughter. Guys, it's a mess. And when you read the Bible and you read that David had many wives and Solomon had many, 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 many wives, you need to know that if you read the text and understand, God did not hide it from us. He puts everything in Scripture to let you know that David, as great of a man as he was, disobeyed and paid consequences. Solomon, as great of a man as he was, paid consequences for disobeying God. When we get to the Mosaic Law couple of things become very clear. I'm a dispensationalist. I have no problem with understanding that God works in different times in different ways. In the Old Testament, it was a dispensation of law. And now that Jesus came, we're under a dispensation of grace. Some people don't understand that. I have no problem telling you today, our God does things differently throughout history. And when he created male and female, and told them to be fruitful and multiply, we do have that awkward issue of incest. How are they going to do this? And, and I, nobody wants to talk about it, but I'm just going to let you know very clearly, God's plan was for them to fill this earth, and he gave the command to do that. And then when time went on, as time went on, by the time we get to the Mosaic Law, God very clearly then says, now knock that off. <laughs> we, we filled the earth, and so now there's going to be some rules and standards. And in Leviticus, we very clearly have God saying, you shall not lie with your close relative. You shall not lie with your brother or sister or your mom and dad. That is forbidden. So you need to understand, as a dispensationalist, I have no problem with that because I've always believed that God works at various times in various manners, and he changes throughout time. And, and he never changes, but he uses his work with man differently throughout all time. 
We know that when we see law versus grace. There's no problem there. We're thankful for Jesus. We're thankful we're not under law now. But we can also look back in history and see and don't have to hide the fact that, yes, God made Adam and Eve. They had lots of children. Those children did connect and have more children than God finally came and said, we're putting an end to that. The Mosaic Law, Leviticus, makes very clear incest is wrong. Two things. God does not promote polygamy and he does not promote incest. We are now moved on from there and he lets us know his full plan for human sexuality is what? One man, one whoa man, one marriage, and then sex is for our good. Now you might say, Pastor Don, okay, I hear the origin, I get to the design, but that's all Old Testament. Well, I love what Jesus did for us. And he didn't have to, but in the wisdom, he did. The Pharisees came to him to ask him about divorce. And I'm so thankful that his answer includes a repetition of something. So I want to read it for you. Mark 10, 6 through 9. Here's what Jesus said. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason... A man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. I love that Jesus told us this in the New Testament, because then people can't say the Old Testament doesn't apply. If Jesus repeated it, it's for now. And notice how Jesus went all the way back to the passages I gave you to say that this was God's plan. Monogamy, one man, one woman, one marriage. That was God's plan from the beginning. So here's God's design for sex. A little math for you guys, okay? Two plus two plus one equals sex. All right, somebody taking notes there? All right, let me, let me explain. I see very clearly from this, it's two people of two genders <laughs> in one marriage, and that's what sex is for, right there. That's the boundaries. Everybody say boundaries. Now, you can look at boundaries as God is damning the fun. Here he goes again, a bunch of fun damn mentalists. God is damning the fun and putting rules up there just to make us miserable. No, that's a wrong view of God. You probably have yourself at the center of reality, and therefore you don't understand God is at the center of the universe, and our goal is to glorify him by everything we do, including our sexuality. So from there, we see, from what I've read, that sex is the intimacy of a husband and wife within marriage only. Intimacy. You know the definition of intimacy, right? It's into me, see. That only happens in that beautiful bond of marriage when a man and a woman give themselves underneath God's authority and commit to, make a covenant to, they cut a contract with God forever to love one another. And then God gave them sex in that beautiful bond. It's, it's an exclusivity. It's a beautiful gift to further their love for one another, their intimacy for one another. That's God's plan. Not before marriage. I want to be very clear. Even in the church, it's been very interesting how we've moved away from God's plan and, and we make excuses But God says marriage, then sex, not sex, then eventually marriage. 
I don't know about you, but uh, I told you last week about Bonnie. Remember I told you about Bonnie? My wife's here today. We won't go into that anymore. I thought Bonnie and I were going to get married, right? And then we broke up and I went on to first grade and I met another girl and then another girl. And then I, uh, throughout the years, you know, let's just say PD was a player. And so I, I, I had lots of girlfriends. I did. I, and lots of them. I really thought I was going to marry. I really did. The one right before Julie dumped me cold. I was devastated because I thought I was marrying that girl. Dumped me cold. Thank the Lord. Because then I found Julie. The problem is, is that Christians have bought into this almost serial monogamy idea that it's just, yeah, 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 one person. And I know I'm going to love her. I love her. Bonnie, I love Bonnie. I'm going to marry her someday. And so that love is so great. And we, 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 we delve out into sexual relationships. And sex doesn't make you married. Sex is to be something within marriage. And so anything before the bonds of marriage officially it's called fornication. The Bible forbids it. Don't do it. Is it because God hates you? No. Can I tell you what I tell the young couples that sit in my office on my couch before they get married? I do premarital counseling. And I encourage them. If they're having sex, I encourage them. Why don't we just, why don't we put a pause to that and not do that for a month? Or, or you set the, you know, maybe you could do it for eight weeks and you just don't do that. Because there's something very important that God's teaching you while you're waiting. That's, that you want to have for a lifetime. And that's co- something called self-control. Now, this is a foreign concept today. Self-control. Although the Bible talks about how every person, both male and female, needs to learn self-control. But especially those young men, it says, learn self-control. So why? Well, we love each other, Pastor Don, and we've already been having sex, so we've already blown that. No, no, you know what? I want you to practice not indulging in that for a while now until that marriage comes because you need to learn self-control. Well, that doesn't make any sense because we're supposed to not have sex until we're married and then it's a free-for-all. Everything's going to be great. No? No? Can I tell you? Marriage doesn't solve sex problems. You will bring your sex problems into marriage. Can I tell you all that the couple that looks in front of me and they're, they're enjoying sex before marriage, the issue is that they're, they're indulging their urges outside of God's plan and they're learning no self-control. And then five years when she's pregnant on her second child and unavailable for sexual activity, he's never learned to say no and hold off. His whole life he's just had the urge and he's fulfilled the urge and if she's not available... I'll find another way. Can I tell you why God's plan is the best plan? Because before marriage, it teaches us self-control. The same thing is for her, too. If she's not learning to control her urges and wait for fulfillment God's way, then she's not learning the art of self-control. And what happens when he's not fulfilling her desires and he's not meeting up to her standards and she finds somebody who can or something. And the problem is, today, our world offers lots of options. The computer screen's a click away, and it, it, it is nothing but self at the center of the universe and self-gratification. When I want it, I will get it. And that's not God's plan. 
So when we talk about sexuality, I've said this before and I'll say it again, the problem is so many people are like, I just can't control it. I just have these urges. Why would God give me these urges that I cannot control? Can I tell you, God never gave you urges that you could not control. It's like the sumo wrestler who feeds himself and he gets to be that large. People today have sumo-sized sex drives because they feed it. They feed it and they feed it and they feed it. God didn't give you that sumo-sized sex drive. He gave us a plan that was beautiful. Wait and then enjoy within the bonds of marriage. It's perfect. It's beautiful. It is fulfillment. I'm going to show you later. It's the best kind of fulfillment. But if we don't wait, we're feeding the sumo. We're feeding the sumo. So why not? When we are so oversexed in our society today, why not just go for whatever makes me happy? It's because God designed sex to be used His way and His parameters for our good and for His glory. So it's not before marriage and it's not outside of marriage. That's adultery. When two people get married and they go outside of the bonds of marriage, that's called adultery. Both of those are sin. I can't say it any stronger as your pastor. I hope you've heard me because I've been accused of not saying this enough. I've been accused of being soft on this issue. I'm not. I believe in truth. This is God's truth. But I am a pastor who applies grace because guess what? Y'all have had problems in this area. Y'all, come on now. I've always been surprised, uh, you know, when the church is so caught up about sexuality and something, and then come to find out, you know, my mom and dad had a baby before they got married. And then I kept finding out everybody. So back in the 50s, somebody was having some problems. Anybody going to say amen? Uh, we've been having this problem within the church for a long time and people haven't been living up to this. And I'm not picking on anybody in particular. I'm telling y'all, we've all had a problem for this for a long time. And I'm not going to have you raise your hands today. But if I did have you raise your hands today and ask you, did your mom and papa have sex before they were married? A lot of you would raise your hands and say, yeah, they probably did. And, and, and if I looked out there today and said, would you raise your hand today, you wonderful, beautiful Christian couple who come here every Sunday and you give your tithes and your offerings and you sing worship songs. Did you have sex before you were married? Don't raise your hand. I'm just telling you, we talk about the truth, but there's been an issue for a long time. So what am I to do? Kick all y'all out? Am I to punish all of you for these sins? I believe the church made a fundamental error for years. Your pastor's not going to make it. I'm not going to put a girl on stage and make her apologize for an infraction to shame her so we could all feel really good about knowing the rules. Why did we do that? And if you don't understand that, you weren't in the right kind of church at the time. But for decades, we would put a girl on stage and make her apologize to the church because she had sex. Where was the boy at, by the way? I'm afraid he got patted on the back and said, that a boy. I'm not... I'm not messing today. You guys hearing PD talk? So your pastor is not going to play that game. I'm going to apply the salve of grace upon the situation of truth. God gives his truth, and here it is before you, but it has not been lived out. A lot of it's done in secrecy and isn't seen. And so the one time or two times that it is seen and known about, I refuse to shame people. I refuse to do that to make me feel good or to make you feel good. 
So we will walk forward in grace. Amen? Amen. And we're going to love all people. Enough said. Sex within marriage is about oneness. That's why God gave it to us in the bonds of sexuality, in the bonds of marriage, because between that couple, God said, this is going to be the best thing to keep you close, to keep you united, to show that you're one flesh. It's a beautiful gift that God has given us. It really is. But it requires selflessness. I hear that being abused as well. I hear uh, men, Christian men, telling their wives, God says you're, you belong to me and therefore I want to be pleased and, and demanding. Listen, if in your sexuality, in your marriage, there's demanding, it's already taken a wrong turn. Because that sexuality, that sex that he's given you as a gift is meant to be a selfless gift. Pleasing and filling the other person, not just mopping up your own desires. Do you see there's a theme going through Scripture? When pride enters in, it's sin. That's what Satan did at the beginning. That's where sin came from. It's pride. If you bring that same pride into your marriage bed, you're going to have problems in that sexual union. Demanding sex and certain sexual favors, demanding them is not God's plan. But intimacy between a husband and a wife that selfless is God's plan. And there's a bigger purpose. This will blow you away. This has been the hardest thing to understand for years. Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. Paul's talking about this. And by the way, he quotes Genesis like everybody else has been. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. What's Paul saying? He's talking about a husband and a wife and sexuality and oneness And he says, this is a profound mystery. And then he says this, what? But I'm talking about Christ and the church. (laughs) Friends, you need to understand that sex is not just physical. It's not just animal instinct. Sex is gift created by God. And sex is actually spiritual. It's social. It's emotional. It's mental, and it's spiritual. When Paul's talking about sex between a husband and wife, he says, I'm talking about Christ and his church. By the way, can we go back to that whole polygamy thing? Do you know Jesus Christ only has one bride? Amen? It's us, the church. The illustration is Jesus and his church. It's one man, one woman. It's very clear in Scripture, God's design for sexuality, and it's a spiritual thing. God's not ashamed of it. So God's truth on sexuality, number one, God created sex, he declared it good. Number two, sex is not just physical. In Genesis 2, 24 through 25, this is why a man leaves his father and mother, he's united to his wife, they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. We saw that at the beginning when sin entered the world, Adam and Eve then realized they were naked. Before then, there was no shame. After that, there was shame. They were putting fig leaves and doing things to cover themselves and to not show their nakedness because they were ashamed. Since then, sex has become an issue of shame, and it's become an issue of shame in the church. But if we would just apply God's truth, we would be able to understand the gift that he's given us. It's not just physical. Number three, sex is broken, it's twisted, and because of sin. Romans 7, 22 through 25. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war. Everybody say waging war. Waging war. 
waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that I myself in my mind I am a slave to God's law but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Can you just hear Paul crying out? Uh, Earlier on Paul had said why do I do the things that I don't want to do and the things that I don't want to do that's what I do. He's struggling with this battle. What's the battle? Paul, are you going to put yourself at the center of the universe or are you going to put God there and glorify him with everything you are? And Paul's like, it's very hard not to be the center of the universe. That's what Paul is telling us here. It's very hard. And when I slip into that mode, it becomes about self-gratification in all areas and then I find myself where I never thought I would be. You understand that, right? Sin will take you where you never thought you would go. It'll take you farther than you ever wanted to be. But Paul says, thanks be to Jesus. Amen? Let me tell you today, you might have blown it sexually, but I'm here to give you good news, not shame. God loves you. He can forgive you. You can move forward. Amen? Amen. When God met that woman at the well, Jesus went there on that day. He saw her. She was by herself living in shame and nobody loved her. Everybody hated her. That's why she was there in the middle of the day to draw water. You you draw water in the early hours before the heat comes, but that's when all the women are there talking and she wouldn't have been allowed because she's got a past. So she's by herself in the noonday sun when Jesus comes and he said, would you give me something to drink? Why don't you go get your husband? She says, I I don't have a husband. And he looks at her in the eyes and he says, that is correct. The last five guys you had have not been your husband. And the one you're with now is not your husband. Can you imagine? That's the reason why she's there alone in the middle of the day. Sexual sin brought shame. But I love what my Jesus did. I love what my Jesus did. He didn't gather the church together to put her on a stand to say, shame on her. Everybody feel good about your, your righteousness? Everybody feel good about that? We're going to shame her some more to make us feel better? No, he didn't do that. Once again, I find my Jesus lifting somebody's chin up off the ground. Amen? When the woman's in the dust and nobody loved her, he, he picked her face up off the ground and looked her in the eyes. And here at the well, he's picking another face up off the ground and in grace saying, yes, I know you've sinned. I know you've sinned multiple times. It is sexual sin, but my Jesus loved her. And he let her know there was a future hope. Amen? You're not done. You're not finished. Don't ever buy into the lie that something's already taken place so I'm already damaged goods and so therefore what does it matter? Don't fall for that lie. You might be living in sexual sin right now with somebody who's not your wife or your husband. Stop. Trust God. Do his way. It's not too late. Step up to a new plan. And then in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, it says flee From sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. You see, I told you this in Romans. God gives people over to their plan. God tells us what his plan is, and if people refuse that and say, I'm going to do it my way, I've got a better idea, God. I like me being the center of the universe. I like 
gratification. I'll do it my way. And so God says, okay. And he gave them over to a depraved mind to do things that they ought not to do. And where do they find themselves? They find themselves trapped. They find themselves in a, in a spiral of addiction. They can't get out. They find themselves hurting, shamed, and alone. And God says, do it my way. My way brings life. Your way brings death. And so sin is broken and it's twisted. Or sex is broken and it's twisted. That's what Satan did. I won't give you my theology of sex, but I I told you about how Satan hates your sexuality. Satan is an angel, no ability to procreate. God did not give him sexual function. And he's always hated the fact that God then made mankind and told them to produce. They create from nothing. And that's the one thing Satan wants to do is create from nothing, to be just like God. And he's twisted your sexuality ever since then. It's twisted and broken. It's because of sin. But I've got good news today. The fourth thing is what sin has broken, the cross is able to repair. Amen? No matter how far you've gone or where you're at, listen, listen to me. Eyeballs here today. You need to hear your pastor say this to you. Jesus wants to lift some chins up today. Because some of you think you're damaged goods and you're a child of the king. You're a child of the king. You know when that lost son ran away from home and he, he took all his dad's wealth and he lived a wild living, right? We know that whole story. And remember when he came back home, this is where we learn what God is. He came back home and his father come running down the driveway to what? To put him up in front of a church and say, here he is, everybody. He needs to confess and repent and feel really bad about himself but we need to feel really good about ourselves. No! father ran down the driveway, put his arms around him, put the robe on, put the finger on him, uh, the ring on his finger. He made him a son again. So you need to know that you're not finished yet. Maybe you've gone down a path of sin that you didn't think you would ever go and you think you're damaged goods. I got good news for you today. Jesus Christ reclaims you and he repairs what's been broken. What did he tell the woman? Well, go and sin no more. Don't go and keep making the same mistake. Do it my way, God says. I can promise you this, and eyeballs here, no matter how far you've run, I can tell you where God is. No matter how far you run away, I can tell you where God is. Just take a little turn around, he's with you. No matter where you went, he's on your tail because he loves you. All you need to do is stop and turn. Stop and turn. So 1 Corinthians 6 is such a beautiful passage. I don't know if I've ever really appreciated this last verse there that I, that I have then this week. It says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual and moral, nor idolaters, nor um, adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. We know that. That's one of those passages with lists in it. And we always zero in. Yeah, you tell them, Pastor Don, men having sex with men. I saw that. That was in there. But it also said swindlers. Y'all pay your taxes. I'm just saying. Thieves. Adulterers. Greedy. Drunkards slanderers, y'all talking bad about somebody behind their backs? Don't, don't, don't pick which sin is the one you like to pick on out of this passage. Besides, the reason for the list is what's said next. And that is what 
some of you were. Everybody say were. It's the best word in that passage. (laughs) That is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This passage is not there to shame people. This passage is there to show the power of the cross. It's saying, no matter how far you ran, God makes all things new. Amen? And Jesus receives you. He washes you. He redeems you and justifies you. Because Paul said, that is what some of you were. Past tense. Some of y'all need to start past tensing today. When it comes to sexuality, when it comes to uh, abusing alcohol, when it comes to swindling, when it comes to slandering, some of y'all need to go to were. Some of y'all need to reclaim what Jesus did for you on the cross by washing you and setting you free. Don't disgrace the Lord's table today by putting your life back in the toilet bowl of addiction tomorrow. Don't do that. We celebrate what Christ did for us on the cross and it's done. And because of that, we have a new life. Can I say a new freedom? So in Luke 9, 23, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. You need to know there's a tactic of the enemy today. And number one, he wants to confuse your identity. You are not your sexual cravings. Can I tell you that? Next week when you come back, we're gonna deal with sexual deviance. We're gonna talk about a couple of big issues that are popular in our culture today and why they go against God's plan. Today, I'm just laying out what God's plan is. But you need to know there's a tactic from the enemy. And by the way, if you're married, I need to remind you, your enemy is not your spouse. Your enemy is the devil. And he wants to come between you two and ruin what a good thing you do have. So be careful. We have an enemy and he wants to confuse your identity. You are not your sexual cravings. When did we do that? When did we start identifying like this? I am a Republican. I am a Democrat. I'm a this. I'm a that. I'm homosexual or I'm transgender. I'm a, no, no, no. No, no, don't be defined by your cravings. And then don't demand that your cravings are okay. What I just read in Luke's, it says, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. I should have a box up here of Twinkies. I'd love to have a box of Twinkies right here on stage. And I would tell you, I know those are wrong. There's nothing of food quality in them. Amen, Margaret? Nothing in a Twinkie is of nutritional value. I don't know what that yellow stuff's made of, and I don't know what that cream's made of, but I do know a Twinkie can survive a nuclear holocaust. It would still be a Twinkie. And 20 years later, you could eat it. It's like Spam and Twinkies are made of the same things. I don't know. Foreverness, but not food. And I love Twinkies. They're not good for me. I might enjoy one every once in a while, but I'm not going to get up and say, hello, I'm Don. I'm a Twinkiest. <laughs> From now on, please understand my Twinkiness. And it's good, by the way. If you say it's not good, you're wrong. How dare you hate? I hate you because you hate. That's our world today, by the way. When did we start describing ourselves by Twinkies? It's not who you are, especially as believers. Your, your enemy wants you to identify yourself by your cravings. And he also wants you to do what makes you happy. But wrong temptations are not to be celebrated. They're to be crucified. In our world today, everybody wants everybody to celebrate their own desire. Next week, we're going to talk about some of those and let you know that God says no. Those are not to be celebrated. They're to be crucified. And that's what we learned in Luke 
chapter 2. So I want to talk to you, and we've gone long today. Sexual integrity versus sexual purity. So for years we taught sexual purity in the church. I've come to a new conclusion. Behavior modification or sin management rather than transformational work of Jesus in our lives. Saying no to sex until marriage. That's what we taught. Don't have sex until you're married. Don't have sex until you're married. Everything's going to be fine. And boy, did we blow it. We went around giving teens pledge cards. I'll be pure until marriage. I'll be pure until marriage. I got news for you. God wants you to be pure for your whole life. (laughs) And marriage isn't going to cure the evils of your past. They just stay there. So a, a new thought. Let's not talk about behavior modification. Let's talk about sexual integrity. It's a holistic view of sex. Sex is more than just physical. It's emotional, social, spiritual. It requires tuning to the Lord with all of our hearts, turning to the Lord with all of our hearts and being empowered by the Holy Spirit to obey. It's about discovering God's love and allowing it to make me more committed to Jesus than self-willed behavior ever could. What am I saying today? <laughs> Parents, please, don't be telling your kids, just wait to marriage to have sex. Just wait to marriage to have sex. We had a president a couple times ago who didn't even know what sex was, remember? I did not have sexual relations with this woman. Well, according to my definition, you did. According to God's definition, you did. And so, parents, we've made a horrible mistake because your kids will listen to that message and say, okay, there's a lot of other fun stuff to do there. Oh, yeah. There's a whole bunch of stuff that I could be doing. Mom and Dad just said, don't have sex. And so they'll go all the way, every which way possible. <laughs> close on, close off. Other, other things that can be done because I'm just doing this, this one thing I'm going to wait for because everything will be okay. No, no, not just sexual purity, sexual integrity. All of who you are as a sexual being, do it God's way. So, the conclusion, I'm loved by God who wants me, who wants to bless me and protect me. Remember, he's a good, good father. He wants to bless and protect me. My sexuality was created by God and he alone sets the standards. I choose to obey God and live a life of sexual integrity as a response to God's love. I will say yes to living a faithful, flourishing life as a sexual being according to God's design. What's God's design? Let me repeat it. Marriage only. One man, one woman, two genders, right? Two people, two genders, one marriage. God's plan is for intimacy in that marriage. So am I supposed to stay pure until marriage? No, you better stay pure while you're married. Take purity with you through your whole life. Do things God's way. You see, our our issue has been we don't understand sexuality. Here you go. Here's Pastor Don's sex explanation. This is the beautiful woman. This is... Yeah, we're Tupperware guys. <laughs> and so sex, we, we, we have sex, and, and the beautiful thing inside of a marriage, when these two are one, you fill her and, and she fills you back, and, and that's the way it's supposed to be. In that marriage, the two of you are fulfillment for one another. The intimacy grows and grows and grows. And we fill one another. God's plan has never been that you, you are, are emptied and, and, and feel uh, dried up and there's nothing. No, his plan has been. And, and we've ruined that plan by going outside of that. And before marriage, we're like, okay, well, I did that. And then that, well, that's, that didn't do anything for me. So then I, I did that, you know. Uh, but then, well, you know, yeah, yeah, since I did that, I might as well just, and then we just, and we, just, and we, and we run around and, and guess what? Outside of God's plan, you find yourself empty. 
you find yourself going down that road of sexual gratification and find that there is no gratification there. You've poured out everything and it hasn't been given back. See, the plan was one man, one woman, one marriage, fulfillment, and being filled. But I got good news today. I'm not going to leave it there because maybe this is true. And no, I can't pour it back in. I'm sorry. When you go against God's rule, it's, you poured that out. I'm not going to do that today. But I can tell you this. No matter what mistakes you've made, no matter where you've gone with your sexuality, there's good news because there's not just you and your spouse. There is a God. And He wants to fill you. He, he, not sexually, but within every area of your life, he, he doesn't leave you dry and empty. Where can you be today? Let God fill you once again. Follow his plan when it comes to sexuality. He, he has a good plan for you. And it's a plan of fulfillment. It's a plan not, a, not to restrain you from having fun. It's God saying, no, I'm telling you, you, you can have life and have it to its full. But he also says, be satisfied in me. I want to pray for you this morning and then I want to send you out with the blessing. We did communion today. So I want to just do a quick prayer and then I'll do the prayer of blessing and then we'll set you out today. But if you need to ask God to be forgiven, some area of sexuality that you've strayed from His plan, do that today. Ask Him to fill you and to get you on the right path and begin living out His truth today. You'll find that there is joy, there is life. God's way brings fulfillment in ways that you'll never do. You'll you'll always mess it up and pour it out and run dry. That woman at the well, she she had run dry and Jesus came and asked her for a cup of water but then he told her what you really need is living water. And that's what God offers you and me. A well that'll never run dry. You ask him for it. Let him fill you today. Walk in his way. Father God, I pray. Lord, whatever needs to be done in the hearts of your people. God, we know that for a long time, we've struggled with either all grace, no truth, or all truth without grace. God, I pray today we would walk that fine line of saying we will live in your truth and when sin appears, we will cover it in grace and ask you to give new life and we'll trust you to do that, God. I pray today in Jesus' name. Let me pray a blessing on you. The Lord bless you. And keep you, make his face shine upon you, and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you, and give you peace. All God's people said, you are dismissed. Now go celebrate our country's independence by blowing up little bits of it. Bye-bye.